3: hi everyone thank you for downloading resound i'm dennis funk the producer here at the third coast festival before we get rolling with this week's podcast i want to remind you that the deadline for the 2016 third coast short dogs challenge will be here before you know it if you've no idea what i'm talking about the short docs challenge is when we ask everyone and anyone to send us a two to three minute radio story based on a few simple rules This year we've paired up with Manual Cinema, an absolutely amazing live shadow puppet performance group from Chicago. Um, And you've only got until May the 17th to enter, so get recording. For the rules and other guidelines, visit thirdcoastfestival.org. Okay, so this week we're featuring an episode of a great new podcast called The Intersection from KALW in San Francisco. Each season of the show uncovers different themes and stories found at a single intersection in the Bay Area. In this first season, producer David Boyer hung around the intersection of Golden Gate and Leavenworth in San Francisco's Tenderloin neighbourhood. Okay, without saying very much more, here's the first episode from the series, which covers the area's homelessness problems.
4: So, it's very possible that she could die... She could OD tonight, it's very possible. She's on that road. But it's not just Katrina, it's, it's the thousands of people who live here who are dying slow deaths um, on the street.
5: Golden Gate in Leavenworth is on the edge of downtown San Francisco, where the touristy vibe of Union Square gives way to the grittier vibe of the Tenderloin. This is a hectic corner, Traffic rushes down Golden Gate, and the sidewalks are packed. There are people rushing somewhere and people hanging out. And the folks hanging out are there for a lot of different reasons.
4: I just wanted to see if Katrina was out here.
5: There are people like Mike Anderer, who you just heard. He works at a middle school, steps away from the corner, but wants to make the street safer and healthier for all. There are drug dealers and buyers. There are people that live in tiny rooms. For them, the sidewalk is their living room and there are the homeless. Of the more than 7,500 people without permanent housing in San Francisco, half can be found in the Tenderloin. Katrina, the woman Mike is worried about, is one of those people. I met her one day while hanging out near the corner with a microphone.
0: What are you doing? I'm doing uh,
5: an audio documentary on this corner.
6: Oh, you gonna get your ass whooped? Hopefully not. Uh, What do you want to hear them say? Xanax, Chima, Narcos? Well, that's all you want to hear, it? but they're not going to say nothing around you. Sir. No, I'm not looking for that. I'm, I'm actually like talking. To,
5: I'm just talking to people to find out, like, okay. like, for instance, like, what are you doing here right now? I'm
6: waiting on the, um, the, um, the, the child care center to close so I go sit up my tent and cook my dinner.
5: Katrina and her husband Coop are sitting on the sidewalk, leaning against a large black suitcase and a granny cart filled with their possessions. They are keeping an eye on the child care center across the street. As soon as it closes, they cross Golden Gate Avenue and grab a spot for the night. Like many of the nonprofits in the area, the center probably won't call the cops to remove them. These service providers know all too well that there are few places for the homeless to go, and moving them from this spot will not solve anything. So Coop sets up their tent, and Katrina, as she does most nights, cooks dinner for herself, Coop, and assorted friends who stop by.
6: I can cook my ass off.
5: What do you mean, cook? What do you cook?
6: I cook everything. I cook gumbo, I cook jambalaya, I uh, cook oxtails, I cook mm-hmm. neck bone, I cook um, gator, I cook hamburgers, fish fries, everything.
0: She'll smoke some pork chops and make you lick your, your elbow from the juice running down your arm. And I mean, I'ma tell you, everybody eat from her and they be right here on this ground, man, when she mm-hmm. get down, you know what I'm saying? Even the police be going to taste it.
5: So, Coop, what's your favorite?
0: I have several, but my main one is she's got some chili that's, man. You know, uh, back toward Texas, you know, they're supposed to be the best chili makers, you know, Chuck Wagons, that's the wild, wild west. She'll knock them out the box. Mm, Can't touch her. Can't touch her. Tonight, as the sun begins to set,
5: she's surrounded by what she calls her street family.
6: This is my cousin right here.
5: She's smoking ribs right here on the sidewalk with a barbecue smoker that a friend brought her
6: and you put charcoal down here, you put reels on here. I'm gonna start cooking. When I was a kid, I didn't go play high-go-get-it, high-go-seek. I didn't play hopscotch. I watched my mother in the kitchen. I feel like that's a way for me to get out of this. I mean, because I got a gift. So everybody over here is trying, they be trying to come together. I can say contribute to me, getting to me a restaurant. My restaurant, we got what? Tree, tree. It's gonna be treat, treat I mean, I'm serious.
0: It's really incredible, man, because she should be serving at the White House. That's how good. She's a six-star restaurant type of thing, you know. I'm wasting my life.
6: I'm being honest. I'm sorry. It'll be okay, though. That's it's me. gonna be okay one way or another. It'll be okay. If I get me take to cooking school, I changed my whole life around. something I want to do. But I need
0: help.
5: Straight up. Katrina, who's in her late 30s, has been living on the street for three years. Before that, she lived in SROs in the neighborhood. Tiny rooms with a hot plate for cooking and shared bathrooms. As we talk, it's clear she's been through a lot in
6: her life. I was three years old when my mother protected herself and... And she actually um, killed my daddy. My mother went to jail, of course. And I had to stay with different family members. It was. Can't nobody treat you like your mother on some real shit. But um, I love my mom. I really, really do. Even though she wasn't there as she needed to be, I never gave up on her. said so She did a lot of times. Everybody, like the OG ladies that be all here, they know my mom.
5: Katrina's mother was addicted to heroin. Now, Katrina is two.
6: Really, why I started throwing the hair around is because I wanted to see where my mother, my mother was throwing hair around. I wanted to see how she, what, what is it about she felt? You know, why, why is it that she was on it? But I ended up getting hooked. Well, baby, I've been on it like a year or something now. A year or something. And I'm tired. I thought I would never be tired, though.
5: What are you tired of?
6: I'm using drugs, I am a I'm tired of living on the streets, actually. I can truly say that. I don't want... I miss my
5: kids. She has three kids, teenagers, who live with her sister in the East Bay.
6: I haven't seen my babies in two years. It's very selfish of me. They don't deserve it. But I can't drag them into this life. I refuse to. My son missed me. He missed me like crazy. Sure.
5: She knows she needs help getting sober.
6: Today she's a motherfucker.
5: She's tried liquid methadone in the past.
6: Liquid methadone made me throw up, but...
5: She has an appointment with her doctor in the morning, and she plans to talk to him about getting on methadone pills.
6: No, I'm not going to a shelter. I'm not going to do that. Hey, silence! Wait! Okay, talk to my husband.
0: Well, anyway, basically I really need to get her off the streets and to anything with a nice kitchen in it. So the homeless outreach people, have they come out and talked to you? Yeah, they came out. They come out. They come out, but you know what what's the main thing with that is nobody want to go to a shelter, you know. Have you ever been to jail? They got some rules or curfew and you know a lot of stuff you got to by, by, by to be there, and I was back east or something. I would go to one, cause you'll die out on the street out there, you know, straight up. You know, but you know, hey, excuse me, bro. Excuse me, please. I mean, but you stop right here. We doing something, yeah. You know, me myself, I could go home in Antioch, but I choose not to because. Uh, I don't know, man. It's just, I've been in Antioch, you know, all you hear is birds and stuff, but, you know, some people like it like that, but I'm a city person, you know. I want to hear a fire truck. I want to hear stuff like that. You you know what I'm saying? I like the excitement, you know. It's never a boring moment. Uh, I love Coop. That was my wife, you guys. She is very special. So you guys have
6: been together for how long now? Three years. Going on four.
0: Wow. That was the key word. Wow. Wow. To have a relationship in this type of environment, you know, it's perverts, it's looking losers, it's haters. You know, you know, you know what a hater is. I mean, it's jealousy, you know, just straight. Basically, it's a lot of demons down here. It's always yeah, something going on. Me. More,
6: it, who, oh, oh, uh-huh. oh, girl. Say hello, hello. Give a shout out to me. So guys. I have to run right well, now. Be, oh, I'll be Oh, man. I'll you be give me my back. chance to oh, get out of
5: here. I've interview somebody at 5, right around the corner. You know, you give
6: me my way out of here. I don't know about that, but I But no, try. you could be, You could me, me. But people are hearing what, the, you know what I'm saying? The good yeah. things. I mean, I'm serious. I need a way out. I need the help. I need the help. I'm not ashamed to say it. I need help.
5: half block away, there's a health clinic that serves the city's poor and homeless. I'm on my way to meet the guy who runs it. As I walk, I wonder, is it okay to get involved? And what can I do to really help Katrina?
1: I'm Joseph Pache. I'm a director of primary care homeless services for the San Francisco Department of Public Health and medical director at Tom Waddell Urban Health Clinic here at uh, Golden Gate and Leavenworth.
5: So I met a woman who is on Golden Gate and Leavenworth who is... Um, been out there for a while, addicted to heroin. She says, I want want to change my life, I want to go off the street, well, Hmm. what are the steps?
1: Well, I mean, the first thing I would ask her is what do you see for yourself moving forward? Because any change, no matter who it is, uh, and no matter how small or large the change is, for it to occur and for it to be sustained has to come from within.
5: She's a great cook, she wants to be a chef.
1: So then the next question I have is, what's keeping you from that, right? So if she tells me, you know what, the heroin is keeping me from getting to my goals, then I can say, well, what do you want to do about that? And if she wants to stop it, I can talk to her about methadone, uh, buprenorphine, two drugs that have transformed people's lives. But there's the day-to-day reality that in the meantime, until she gets off heroin, she's got to get that next fix. Otherwise, she's going to be really sick. You know, one of the challenges is a lot of our patients came from very challenging and at times abusive and brutal life circumstances. There is a whole cascade of things that happened very early on in their lives that sort of set them on a different trajectory. And then you end up with a lifetime of bad things that chase you wherever you go
5: and i'm curious you know you go on medication but you're still living on golden gate right how does that work
1: well it it i mean it works and it doesn't right because it doesn't work because if you're constantly around a situation that is is full of of risk and temptation how could you really move away from it right so We often talk to people about, you know, do you want to get housed? And she could work with our case managers and social workers to figure out how she can apply for certain types of housing. Housing is one of the most cost-effective interventions when it comes to changing people's lives because it builds a foundation from which other change can occur.
5: If there's any doubt about the difference housing can make, one only needs to meet the people who live right above the clinic in the Kelly Cullen community. It's supportive housing for people with mental and physical health issues, as well as a history of homelessness.
2: My name is Kim Mastero. I've been in Kelly Cullen since they renovated it in 2012. We are a community of um, rejects. We are just some of those people that got knocked down or disabled or because of bad breaks in their life. I came to be here due to domestic violence. Um, I have PTSD, but I had help getting to where I am, no doubt, with the counselors on that.
5: Three years ago, Kim won the homeless equivalent of the Golden Ticket, a spot in this new permanent housing in the former Central YMCA. This is not your average supportive housing project. It's in an historic building with a stunning marble entrance, a grand seating area, a community kitchen a gym, a rooftop garden, and a 300-seat auditorium.
2: My first day at Kelly Cullum was a turning point, but I didn't realize how much at the time. I was still so scared about, you know, am I going to be able to really stay here, you know, or are they going to find a reason to get rid of me? You know, am I going to be evicted for some reason because this looks like such a nice place? I'd been through so much with shelters and everything, I was still too scared. It took a long time for me to feel comfortable to even call that my home. When I need a place to hide out, I can stay, you know, in my room as long as I want, but still have people around to support me, to keep me from going into the depression, suicide, or back out on the streets again, because I can't handle things. Now I can call it home.
5: The Kelly-Cullen community is part of a multi-year study by the Tenderloin Neighborhood Development Corporation and the Department of Public Health. The hope is to prove that comprehensive supportive housing, with access to counseling, nurses, and other programs, actually saves money in the long run. So far, the numbers look promising, and it's already made a huge difference in Kim's life. Three years on, her mental health has stabilized, and she's working to improve the neighborhood she now calls home.
2: I took advantage of all the different services to better myself, to find a way to get out of that neighborhood because of what it was. But then I decided, no, nah, I want to change the neighborhood to make a good neighborhood where we can walk outside and say hi to your neighbors and not be afraid you're gonna get shot or beat up because you don't wanna buy somebody's drugs.
5: And tonight, she's speaking at a community meeting in the building's auditorium in front of more than 300 neighbors, as well as some of San Francisco's power brokers, including the city's police commissioner, the district supervisor, and the chief of police.
2: Good evening, I'm Kim Mostero. I um, live in this building I I do participate in the neighborhood. I belong to one of the community um, resident boards, but I'm not here as a politician tonight. I'm here as a human being. The true issue is what many have brought here to you tonight, the safety, our safety. When can you explain to us what the procedures are that keeps the police from arresting the criminals? And it's always the same answer. We don't have enough evidence. Let us know what you need to help protect us. We'll fight for those procedures.
4: Thank you. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much. Next speaker.
5: Kim is a success story. But for every Kim, there are a lot more Katrinas struggling on the street. So I had to leave San Francisco for a few months. Before I go, I stop by Katrina and Coop's tent and bring her information about Tap, the city's free and voluntary substance treatment program. We both agree that getting off heroin is probably the first step. When I get back to San Francisco, one of the first things I do is check in on the corner and with Katrina. Come
0: on now, he just uh, hey, you remember us? Of uh, course. Katrina, Katrina, Katrina.
6: What you doing, sweet boo? I was coming back for you. you I was told just me to getting come. high. I was just getting high. I was arrested. Okay. That's what I do. Yeah, it ain't no secret. I'm not happy here. This tree's going to take me out.
5: It's been a rough couple of months, and she just seems spent. I run into Mike Andera, who, in addition to being an administrator at the middle school near the corner, spends a lot of time in front of the school, talking to dealers and the homeless people. Katrina recently
4: asked him to help her get off of heroin and the streets. She came up to me and gave me a hug and, sh- and uh, she started to cry and she's like, uh, she said, "I'm gonna die out here." So I said something like, "You give me the word, and uh, and I'll see what I can do to get some help for you." And uh, so she's like, "I'm I'm ready. I'm giving it to you." And so anyway, it's been it's been a couple of weeks you know and it's a mix she ended up going to the hospital the next day because she had trouble breathing and then she came back out again and then you know being in the hospital helped her feel better so she kind of had some energy that week she was out cooking steak on the sidewalk but getting somebody into rehab is not easy so we started to kind of line a couple of opportunities up Um, but there's a you know you can set the table for someone at the end of the day they have to pull in their chair and so that first week uh she didn't pull in her chair you know to the table on that one and so we backed off a little bit but she says she's ready um it's complicated yeah yeah
5: as of late december katrina is still living on the street her and Coop have split up, but they're still friends.
6: Me and Coop can always be friends. On some real shit. And if we wanna be some fucking in some relations, that's fine too.
5: Change can be slow and difficult, especially on the corner of Golden Gate and Leavenworth.
6: He be spooning me at night. That's where like he land now, i put my booty right here. <laughs> is it true
3: that was episode one home from the podcast the intersection the series is produced for KALW by David Boyer So, this wouldn't really be a special feature if I didn't have a little something extra for you. So, I gave the series producer, David Boyer, a ring and asked him a few questions about the series, his reporting, and where he sees the show going. He has a really great ringtone, by the way. Here it is.
5: Hi there, how's it going?
3: Hey David, it's Dennis, how are you? It's going okay. Good, good. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's get into it then. Sure. So, why did you narrow the series down to one street corner rather than a whole neighborhood right. or a region or something like that?
5: I mean, I think it's helpful for a listener to have um, a, a very specific place in mind. You know, they can walk through this intersection or they can imagine a similar intersection in their own, you know, in their own area. I think that, um, you know, it's a microcosm, basically, and it helped focus me Um, as well. But I think, um, you know, moving from one intersection to the next, you know, you begin to sort of make the connections between them as well. So um, having that same, um, you know, that same sort of lens, I think is really helpful and, and rich.
3: Was there anything that you expected to find at this intersection going into it that wasn't there?
5: Yes. What I found was a community that really embraced their police, you know, when I started, it was sort of very much in the, in the beginning of Black Lives Matter really becoming, you know, more than a hashtag, but sort of like a, you know, a national reality that people were pushing back against the police. And this is a largely, um, you know, it's a community that's largely of color with a lot of African Americans. And so I presumed that I would find people who were really pushing back and saying, we don't want police here. We don't want beat cops, but they were saying the exact opposite. They felt like they, you know, could trust a lot of these people and wanted more of them. I mean, that was shocking to me. I really expected to find the exact opposite.
3: What can listeners expect to encounter in the next four episodes? And then there are a couple of extras
5: also. So like, why keep listening?
3: Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> why keep listening to the series? Yeah. I don't know. No,
5: I mean, I think you keep listening because, um, you know, the first episode was meant to meet people where they were at which is, if you've heard of the Tenderloin, you probably haven't heard wonderful things. Um, And so we're going to start there. We're going to start with homelessness and addiction, which is probably what the neighborhood is known most for. But after that, we're going to go places that you can't even imagine exist here, you know, that are not part of the general conversation about this neighborhood in particular or neighborhoods like it across the country. Um, So you're going to hear about what it's like to be a kid Growing up, knowing that you're living in a neighborhood that has a terrible reputation, and at the same time, where there are very real issues outside your door that your parents are trying the best to mitigate. So I think you stick with it because you're going to you're going to go deeper and you're going to hear things um, that you know that go way beyond a stereotype of a of a bad neighborhood or a bad corner.
3: Where are you going next? And are you? touching on some of the similar themes or is it almost a completely different sort of feeling where you're going next
5: it's a it's it's probably the at least in the sort of public imagination the antithesis it is um an intersection in mountain view that is um right near google uh it's actually surrounded by google frankly and linkedin and microsoft and yet guess what people are dealing with affordability issues of um and housing issues and commute issues and displacement issues. You know, it's it's sad, but the problems and themes and challenges are no longer about one corner uh, of one city. They are um, certainly national, if not global. The, the reverberations of that are shocking to me. That was David Boyer, producer of the podcast The Intersection.
3: You can hear the other episodes from Season 1 by subscribing through however it is that you download podcasts, or listen to them on the show's website at theintersection.fm. Alright, that's it for this week's episode of ReSound. If you like us, don't forget to review us in iTunes or send us an email to resound at thirdcoastfestival.org. And you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, We'll be back next week with our regular hour-ish long episode and I think it's going to be a super special one. So keep on the lookout for it. Alright, bye.